0: I've
1: I've been super excited to get you on to talk about this because it's like we were just talking about off the mic. I really enjoy therapy. I enjoy talking and getting things out. I know the dangers of keeping things in, Mm -hmm. you know, and and what those things lead to, i.e. drugs, uh, sex, food, you know, all the weird shit that you don't don't necessarily want your world in a bad way.
0: Correct. Yeah, know? totally.
1: So um, first and foremost, give me your title because you, you just kind of explained it to me, but I want you to explain it so everybody's uh, very aware of, of your position and what you're doing.
0: Sure. So I'm an associate marriage and family therapist, which just means I'm not fully licensed yet. So I'm done with my master's degree. And in the state of California, in order to be fully licensed, you have to do 3,000 hours underneath a supervisor who is licensed.
1: Oh, wow. So so you're already pretty much there. You you, you have your driver's permit. You yep. just need your time in the car with a parent.
0: Yeah. And I'm two-thirds of the way there. So I'm just about 2,000 hours in <laughs> to the 3,000 hours.
1: Wow. And and so currently when you do your therapy sessions, is it with an instructor in the room then?
0: No. So the way it works is basically I just am working under his license. So if anything were to go wrong or somebody wanted to sue me, his license would be the one at fault.
1: So uh, it's a big risk for somebody to kind of take you on then.
0: Yeah, it can be if they don't trust you.
1: <laughs> so so how did you kind of forge that relationship with this person that you're working with currently?
0: Yeah, he was actually looking for people to supervise. So he's, um, his name's Jamie, and he actually is a local therapist. He's been working for 25 years here. He's in his 70s, and he really wanted to just kind of help out the mm. next generation of therapists. So he was trying to pay it forward.
1: Oh, wow, that's cool. So does that mean he's on his way out too, or?
0: He hasn't talked about it yet, but I can assume that at some point he would want to retire or at least cut back. Yeah. But there's a lot of therapists who kind of do some extent of this work forever.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, it seems like a lifelong project. I mean, mm-hmm. I guess that's kind of one of my biggest questions for you is is how do you get into this line of work, you know? Because my perception of it is... You know, if I was going to do it, I think it would be cool to know how the human mind works and and I guess that kind of stuff. But the downer part, you know, I was just I dropped junior off at school and I'm like thinking questions to ask you. Right. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking to myself and, you know, I can be very bleak at times. So I'm <laughs> like, you know, that that's a, it's it's almost like a big responsibility to take on those kinds of issues when you're talking with people and the kind of person I am is I take on energy. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's it's one of the big it's the biggest reason that I sage the studio every time I do an interview. I want to, you know, I'm spiritual and I want to get all that energy out, whether it's good or bad, because I know with me that those energies linger and I really take them on. So I guess my question, you know, on the flip side of of wanting to know about the human mind and all that. Is how do you prepare yourself going into these things and then not taking that stuff home with you? Because I'm sure you hear some pretty traumatic stuff in those sessions. So, how, like, how, why did you get into it? And, you know what, what's your what's your why?
0: Yeah, my why. So I think I started where you said, like it would be very interesting to kind of just understand how people work and why they are the way they are. Yeah. Um, it was something that I always kind of had interest in. Like I remember being like eight, nine, ten years old and thinking, oh, being I didn't really know what it meant, but thinking, oh, being a therapist would be fun, right? Like wow. I liked talking to people. Yeah. I was the annoying little kid at home that would <laughs> go to interviews. the like my dad's <laughs> friends. Yeah, like yeah. my dad's <laughs> adult friends, and like be bugging them. (laughs) How's
1: your marriage going? Basically,
0: yeah. So are you dating? Do you have a girlfriend yet? Why don't you have a girl?
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's wrong with you? Right. (laughs)
0: And then as I got older, you know, I worked in the makeup industry briefly for a few years. And a lot of times you're doing makeup and chatting with people the way that bartenders often get people chatting to them at their bar, right? There's certain jobs where people chat with you. Um, I think hairdressers and stylists, right? If somebody's just sitting there, they're going to talk. Right. Um, And so then I started getting reaffirmed from strangers, like, oh, you'd be really good at this, like you're a great listener. And then it was actually my own experience when I finally, so I thought being a therapist was so cool, and then I finally (laughs) went to therapy myself when I was 20. But up until this point, it was just this thing I thought was like a cool job, like I'd love doing that, it might be fun to do, but I didn't want to be the client. (laughs)
1: <laughs> right, right. whoa, who does, right? <laughs> right.
0: And then I finally got to a point in my life where I was like, I need to go to therapy. Mm-hmm. And so I found a therapist here in town that I love. She's still in practice. She's fantastic. I've seen her off and on for the last, how old am I now? 12 years. <laughs>
1: yeah. So therapists talk to therapists. Yep. Yeah. I love that. I so mean, that's probably a way of releasing. That's your sage. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So yes. And I have, so the way the supervision works is he's not in the session with us, but we meet every week for two hours yeah. to go over any client stuff that's going on that I need to kind of get some support with. Right. Like if I'm not sure where to go with a client or I'm having a problem because maybe something they say is hitting too close to home for me, right?
1: Wow. Yeah. And that's something
0: you have to be constantly aware of in sessions, like, if your problem reminds me of my problem, I can't counsel you in the way that I think would work for me because it's not about me.
1: That's something you must have gotten schooled in in school, right? Mm-hmm. So that that's probably not only learning about the human mind, but they're probably directing you on these cues and knowing you're probably getting a huge understanding of yourself. Oh, yeah. And it, it, I guess that's my growth from the podcast, right? I, I, you know, I interview people and I talk about their lives and what they do and what they've been through. And it gut punched me for a mm-hmm. while there. It sent me into my midlife crisis. You know, <laughs> I feel like I'm just recovering mm-hmm. from that, you know, not only turning 40 last year, but, you know, I, I just started doing all this. Why am I here? What's my purpose? What the hell is going on? You know, and mm-hmm. and, and it must be nice to have some kind of uh, education and knowledge behind those signs,
0: mm-hmm. you yeah. know? There's def- Grad school is absolutely, I think, like a profound period of self-work and growth for me. Um, obviously, all grad schools probably have differences in their programs, so I can't say this for everyone who goes to grad school. But my program, I would say at least 60% of the curriculum was really Applying the things to myself. (laughs) So it was, hey, you learned about this. Now go write a paper on how that impacted your life, right? You learn about the developmental stages through childhood. Now go talk about where you were at through these developmental stages in childhood, right? Wow. Or... Um, you know, I took a psychological assessment course. And in that course, you learn about each assessment that you could give, right? And then I had to take them all myself and determine all the results that I was getting.
1: (laughs) Did you know that that was going to happen? Or was it kind of like, oh, shit, I got to do this for myself? Oh, dang.
0: (laughs) I had heard, yeah, right, through the grapevine. (laughs) Yeah. I loved that. I thought it was fascinating, actually.
1: (laughs) Totally. I mean, to have that understanding of yourself and an awareness of yourself and like, oh yeah, that that hits me because back in the day this happened to me. It's weird because I kind of stumbled on those myself.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's
1: it's always kind of like a profound moment. You're like, oh, I trip on that because this happened when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it's I guess that's the fun part of the therapy for me is getting those aha moments. You exactly. know? <clears throat> um So what schools did you go to?
0: Um, So I went to Cabrillo first.
1: All right. Another Cabrillo alum.
0: Mm -hmm. And then I transferred and finished my bachelor's in psychology at San Diego State. And then I took a couple years off and I got my master's in counseling psychology at Santa Clara University.
1: Wow. Wow. Mm (laughs) Wow. So now that you're you're in the the game and you're feeling it out, I mean, what what's your impression now? Because you're almost done with your hours. I mean, are you still happy that you are, are you, that you're in this field and and is it, was it the right decision for you?
0: Absolutely. Really? Absolutely. And I think that was even more solidified after I had my kids, because to go back to work as somebody who loves being a mom mm. was a tough choice to make. Right. Yeah. And. You know what, some people don't feel that it's a choice and I would not say it was fully a choice for me either, but I have more appreciation for the fact that I get to go to a job that I love. Right. Otherwise it would be brutal. It would be brutal to be leaving my little kids who I love to death to do something I didn't want to be doing or didn't love doing. Right. And so it's really hit home that like, I love what I do and it makes it so much easier to go to work.
1: Right. Have you ran into any of those issues where you're like, oh my God, this is affecting me because this is, these are some of my issues. Have you gotten to that point yet?
0: I would say, and this is one of the funny things that once I think you get exposed to enough people and maybe you can relate talking to so many people on the podcast that when you really get in and get to know people, almost everyone has something that relates to you in right. some way. And it may not be a direct thing, but, um, but some kind of similarity in their situation or their viewpoints or their experiences that will hit home. I don't express that to clients because that's not my role as a therapist to say, oh, me too. But oftentimes it's like, yeah, I'm not the only one who's gone through that, or I'm not the only one who's felt that way.
1: So those are more profound moments for you. I mean, when when you get those kind of connections and you realize that, you know, my my biological father, who mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not close to, you know, we've had a, a traumatic relationship, and and but, you know, he went from prison to getting his master's degree in psychology. Wow, I didn't know that. I. I Yeah. It's, you know, there's little things that I have little hidden gems with that guy that I have, but, but he told me one time, um, he would say like little things to me throughout my life that they, they fucking stuck with me. And he told me these things are going to stick with you. But he told me that, um, for the most part, everybody thinks very similarly, Mm -hmm. you know, with, with, um, you know, being embarrassed about stuff, or being nervous to talk about stuff, or you know, there's a lot of similarities between people that you know everybody is pretty baseline with. Mm-hmm. Do you do you
0: agree with that at all? To a certain extent, yeah. Yeah, I think there's kind of a blueprint, and people follow along certain pillars, right? So. There's the group of people who are always going to be like, maybe they're more introverted or not. Sometimes social anxiety doesn't have to do with introversion. Um, but those people tend to be like, they're the ones who are going to typically be nervous to talk in front of a crowd, nervous in like a new social situation, probably not want to go to a party where they don't know anyone, mm. right? There's people more like that. And then there's the people who love people. They love chatting, They right? So there's different types of people, but most people fall into one of these types.
1: And is is that like just a, a, a human baseline or is that what we're built off from the society we live in?
0: Oh, man, that's like the nature versus nurture talk. Right. Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both. But I think it has to be human nature, right? Because we humans built our society.
1: Right, right, right. Well, and I guess somebody that's in America or somebody that's in Britain would, you know, feel uncomfortable, maybe, maybe feel uncomfortable to a party with a bunch of people they don't know or might not.
0: Right. Yes. You do see it across cultures, right? So you see it expressed differently, but emotion and feelings and all of these things you see across cultures hold true.
1: Right, right, right. So what was, what, cause you must've had like huge experiences going to college. Was there any point that you were, you, you, you thought to yourself, wow, this is crazy. I don't know if I want to keep doing this.
0: Well, the process to get licensed feels and felt that way. The 3,000 hours after you finish your master's, it's like so many clinicians I've heard burn out during that 3,000 hours because you work so hard. And for the most part, unless you find a great job, you're typically working um, in a nonprofit, like a social services agency. That's where most of the jobs are at this level. Mm. Um, And they don't pay very well. So you're working really, really hard, kind of grinding away at these hours you're stuck because you literally can't do much else until you get them done and get your license, right? Yeah. And 3,000 a lot. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's years. It is. So that's the that's the thing that's hard. For me, the best thing I did was I did do agency work for the first couple of years. Um, I worked a lot with basically social services agencies that would serve like the Medi-Cal population, which is absolutely in need. Unfortunately, then you're jumping through a lot of hoops for insurance and the county, right? Yeah. And so a lot of your time is not actually doing therapy. It's doing paperwork.
1: Oh, wow. That must be a pain in the butt. It is. <laughs> yeah. Well, that th- those are the things where you get to that line where you want to quit. And then the line, it's just right over that line is where the rainbow stuff is, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah.
0: So luckily, I made the transition out of that work into private practice. And I still serve at need population by doing a sliding scale. So um, I have my full fee, but I also reduce that for clients in need who can't afford it to a certain extent. And that's what I've found is the best way for me to both keep my own sanity, right, (laughs) not burn out, and still be able to serve those in need who can't always afford
1: Right, right. So, are you currently using? Uh, you're not only using his license, but are you also using his space? Do you have to be in his space as a part of the supervision?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he, so he's not there with me, but it's an office in his name. Yeah, that he leases.
1: Right, but right, he's not right.
0: there when I'm there because only one of us at a time.
1: Right. Well, he <laughs> can't have two sessions in one room. That'd be exactly. a little awkward.
0: <laughs> And then tell
1: me about the pandemic. I mean, because cause you, you were doing your hours through the pandemic. Is that
0: correct? Um, so I took a little bit of time off because of having babies, mm-hmm. but I did start working again in March 2021. So I've been working again for just about a year. Okay. So things, right, the vaccine came out around then. So things were slowing down pandemic-wise, but absolutely in the field, you've seen a huge uptick in need. Yeah, Everybody wants to get in to see a therapist, and most therapists are full.
1: Yeah, you know, yeah. I, I'm going through my own stuff around that that kind of stuff and mm-hmm. getting in. You know what I mean? But if you find the right person and you say the right things, they have ways to get you in if they want to, right? It's it's all on the on the therapist's time, right? And what they want to give to you, it's right.
0: Yes and no, right? You have to think of it this way, like. It's like working at any job, but when you're working this job, it's not like you can do it on your own time, right? right. It's face-to-face. All of the time I'm spending is face-to-face with another person or, or on Zoom, I will say.
1: Are you doing Zoom still? I do
0: Zoom and I do in person and it's kind of up to the client what they prefer.
1: Wow. Yeah, mm. Zoom, you know, I've done a couple of things on Zoom. I will not podcast on Zoom because mm. it's, it's for me, I have to, I have to have the person in front of me. I have to see body language cues. I have to hear, you know, I know when you're going to stop and there's always a lag and there's always weird stuff with Zoom. So I get oh, yeah. nervous to do podcasts on it. I won't do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Do you have a preference?
0: Oh yeah. I definitely prefer in person. Yeah. For all the reasons that you're saying, like it's I body language is a huge thing and if I can only see, you right. know, chest neck up, I'm losing everything as far as body language goes. Right. Um the lag time, people cutting out technologically, issue, technological issues are such a pain like people getting completely like kicked out or thrown off or whatever and, and it then cuts having into to restart. Time. Yeah, and it also just messes up the flow. You know, if you're especially if you're trying to talk about something vulnerable, that can be really tough. Um, what I will say is that some people who probably wouldn't go to therapy will go now because it's so convenient with Zoom. Mm. You know, they find the time now because I don't have to get in my car and go anywhere.
1: (laughs) Right, right, right. So it
0: does make it more accessible to some people. And so there's the benefit that it may not be as great as doing it in person, but it's definitely better than nothing.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Now – I keep thinking like you know w- when we own the motel, I talk about the motel and owning the motel you know mm-hmm. before you know I was podcasting and all that and and i something that i haven 't really talked about is that I had a little mental breakdown mm. towards the end of our tenure at the motel, and I was going through i was having panic attacks mm. and and it was getting to the you know I had a couple of panic attacks. And there was times where I, I twice I thought I was having a heart attack because yeah. I just didn't know what was going on. Mm-hmm. And I found a psychotherapist mm-hmm. and and I started going to her. and I mean, the difference was like night and day, and yeah. just to be able to talk about little stuff, you know what I mean, it really just it lifts so much off your shoulders. What do you think is the biggest benefit for people to go to therapy? If somebody is is on, you know, the line if if they should go or not, mm. what what would you say to that person to push them over the line to go ahead and give the therapist a call?
0: Oh man, that's a tough one cuz so many people have different reservations like what is it that's holding you back is such a big question. So I'd have to know that first to give like a universal piece of advice there.
1: Well, is there, you know, like three big ones that hold people back by any chance?
0: Um, There's definitely stigma around it. So if you're somebody who just thinks like either I'm going to be, I must, I have to be crazy to go to therapy. No, yeah, that's not true. Okay. Just because you're going to therapy does not mean you're insane, does not mean you're crazy. (laughs) Like that's some people and some cultures really hold that belief. Yeah. Right. Agreed. Yeah. You know, you're, men, you're You know, you should go to a mental institution if you need therapy because you're just crazy. Right. And they don't want that stigma, depending on where they grow up or who their peers are or what culture they're from. Depending. So definitely for that group, it's like no. Just like you go to the doctor for a checkup, why not go to see a therapist? Right. right. You want your physical well being in check. Why not your mental well being too? Yeah. That's the big one there. Um, if you just don't know if it can work or not. Talk to other people. Ask your friends. Most people know somebody who is in therapy, whether they know it or not. Right. Um, and really, like we spoke about before we started the, um, the recording, was it's really, really, really your journey as the client. Yeah. And I'm there to guide you and support you. So if you're afraid that I'm going to make you do something you don't want to do, or if you're afraid that I, don't, I won't know how to help you, Yeah, that's true, because I'm going to help you figure those things out. (laughs) Well,
1: you know, there was a ton of times where I was, you know, I was trying to ask this woman, you know, okay, so what's next? I don't know. What's next? Mm -hmm. And, And it was like, oh oh, this is really on me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I think that, that you're right about that. It's it's a misconception uh, about therapy is that somebody's filling your head with do's and don'ts and that's not how it works. You're basically mm-hmm. a guide of finding those inner answers with within yourself.
0: Exactly. You
1: know, and that's what makes it so exciting to me. It's like a puzzle. It's like a game and putting it together. And then going back again, going back into my childhood or my teenage years and my young adult years, and I'm, I'm figuring out these little things that played out. And I'm like, oh, that's why it's like that. Mm-hmm. I think it's so cool to put those things together. So currently right now, what what kind of uh, people are, are, you, are you doing your sessions with? Is it like couples, uh, marriage, single people?
0: Yeah, it's all types of people. Um, I don't have any couples right now, but I do love working with couples. It's a lot of fun. Why? Oh. Um, there's a lot going on, right? It's a whole dynamic. Yeah. So it's really engaging work for me. Um, And I love to support people in how to have better relationships because I personally believe that that basically leads to a happy, healthy life. Whether that's a partnership like a significant other or friendships or family, all, right, having healthy, meaningful relationships lead to a healthy life. Absolutely. Humans are absolutely built and thrive on connection. So if you don't know how to do that well, it's going to be really tough. Yeah. And there's nothing that triggers us more than relationships. (laughs) Any type. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So that's the the interesting thing. I'll work with people who are literally single and they'll get a whole lot of work done and then they get into a relationship and new stuff comes up all the time because you just aren't getting access to those things that need that work. Mm. Right. They're being brought up by the relationship.
1: Yeah, yeah. So you
0: can be have healed a whole lot of things that are only coming up when you're single and then get into a relationship and all these new things that need to be healed and worked on. That's
1: super interesting. Come to the yeah, right, right. Mhm. And then um Shoot, what was I going to say? Oh, I wanted to talk about. So you sent me this, this text message of, of, of some stuff that you, you break down during these, uh, sessions with people. Mm-hmm. And I thought they were very interesting. So can we kind of transition to that? And, yeah. you know, it's, it's, they've seemed very baseline, but they seem very obvious. Like the things that you would talk about in therapy. So, so for somebody again, that is on the line and thinking about going to therapy, what kind of things can they expect when they go in to talk to you?
0: Mm-hmm. So basically, I would say that if you're thinking about going to therapy, it's because something's not working in your life, right?
1: Like you're running into a wall over and over or something? Or?
0: Uh, could depend. Maybe you're having panic attacks and you don't know what's going on, like you said for you. Maybe you just kind of feel blah, dead end. You don't know where to go next. Mm. Maybe your relationships are suffering. Maybe your mental health just – you can—you f- feel depressed, right? Or you can't focus or whatever it is, Right. Something's not feeling like it's working for you anymore. Mm. Otherwise, you probably keep going. There's actually a term I love to throw around and teach clients. Um, there's two terms. It's egocentronic or egodystonic. So, right, your ego. Yeah, yeah I was going to say elaborate. <laughs> so your ego. So when something feels egocentronic, that means it feels good for you still. So think about an alcoholic before they're ready to get help. Right. They feel like I'm the life of the party. I'm living it up. I'm having a good time. I'm fun. This is fine. Right. I've got it under control. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe they've even gone to some trouble. Maybe they've gotten a DUI, but they're, they're, they don't feel bad about it. Like they might be like, oh, I didn't want to get a DUI, but they don't see this as like, shit, I have a drinking problem. I'm really upset that I can't manage this. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oftentimes it's a progression, right? So it starts it starts with feeling good. They don't realize there's a problem at all. And then it's a slow progression to ego dystonic, which is when something stops feeling good to us. Now we feel bad about what we're doing. And that's typically when – bad about what we're doing or how we're feeling. And that's typically when we seek help, right? So that might be for an alcoholic, the progression. I get a DUI, but I still think things are fine. It was just a whoopsie. I'm having fun. I'm still the life of party. Things are still great. Maybe they get another DUI, and they start thinking, oh, man, maybe I do have a problem with drinking. But they're just thinking it because it still feels good in the moment, right? Yeah. I'm still having fun when I'm drinking. I still feel good when I'm doing it. I still want to do it. But there's a little part of me that knows this might be a problem. Then it gets a little bit worse, right? They start saying this doesn't actually feel good, or they wake up the next morning really ashamed that they got drunk last night, right? Right. They're not feeling like, oh, I had fun. I was the life of the party last night. They're feeling like, shit. Yeah. I don't feel good about what I'm doing, but I can't stop. Well,
1: wow, I got it. Sorry, I don't mean to interject, but like, mm-hmm. it's kind of freaking me out that you, you like the buildup of what you just said, because, you know, back in the day, you know, I, I had my little bout with methamphetamine mm. and that was the exact process.
0: Right. So,
1: and- you know, it, and it... it, it, it People have asked me, you know, how did you get clean? Because I have a cousin that this or my uncle or my aunt or something. And I'm like, yo, man, like it came from within. Mm -hmm. And that's the part with drugs and alcohol that ends up hurting family members, wives, children, is that the people that aren't in the situation, you know, uh, uh, the abuser – They want something so bad for somebody else that isn't ready to accept what what it is that they're doing. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of like a gut punch. I felt that. That, that, That's a trip, that buildup.
0: And that actually applies. So, right, it goes from egocentonic, feeling good to us, to egodystonic, no longer feeling good to us. It feels bad. It feels out of alignment. We feel ashamed. We feel defeated. We feel like we want to change it, right? And that's really where people typically are at or pretty close to because sometimes they're coming because somebody else is poking them too. Yeah. But if they're showing up on their own without somebody else telling them they should, a wife or a parent or who, right? Sure. Um, then they're definitely in the egodystonic place. So something's not working. It doesn't feel good anymore. And that progression that resonated for you, it's not just drugs and alcohol. Right. It's It's depression. It's anxiety. It's eating. It's pretty much anything that brings people into therapy, right? It's relationships. My marriage, right? My marriage was good at one point. It started feeling not so good, Yeah, (laughs) still not good. And now we're here because it really doesn't feel good. That's when they come into marriage counseling a lot of times, right? right? No longer feels good. It's typically that progression. And the problem is that some people don't always get there, (laughs) right? Those are the people who you see
1: Get get there to the point where they they need some help,
0: right? Or they want the help. They want. Okay, some people yeah, right. don't move from egocentric to egodystonic. I'm sure you've seen addicts who never get clean. Yeah, addicts who never even want to get clean. Oh, yeah. Because there's a difference between somebody who keeps trying and failing, and somebody who's not really trying.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I have seen that uh, a lot of times, actually. Right. You know what I mean? Sorry. I'm like thinking to myself, I'm like trying to come up with examples of my own No,
0: head. yeah. And it's the person who's – um. there used to be a diagnosis. It was like more mild depression. It used to be dysthymia. And now it's like persistent depressive disorder. But so that's like Eeyore. Think about Eeyore. Yeah,
1: yeah, right? yeah. Right? Yeah. Just kind
0: of gloomy and glum. From Winnie
1: the Pooh. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's
0: the people who feel like that kind of all the time. So it's not major depression. It's not, I can't get out of bed. I'm miserable. Um, it's just kind of like blah, like gloominess. Right. And a lot of times those people may not seek therapy. They're just, they accept that as their standard quo, right?
1: Yeah, that would be a bummer to live in that place. I mean, I've been there, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? But I'm also, I, I'm very blessed because I grew up with a single mom, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And, and you know, there's there's, you know, the balances with, with all that too. But because I grew up with a single mom that likes to talk, that's very upfront about her emotions and what's going on and, you know, what's going on with you. You know, I grew up talking about my feelings Mm -hmm. and if I had a bad day, I'd go home and, you know, my put my mom my head in my mom's lap. She rub my head and be like, "What happened? What's going on?" So I feel like I kind of grew up with with the openness and being okay to talk. So I'm very blessed in that capacity. Wow. Um, now I'm I'm thinking I'm listening to you talking. I'm thinking about you being in a session, and I'm wondering what happens when you have a bad day and and you have to go in and you have to kind of be there for somebody else. Does does that? does it kind of take your bad day away when you have to kind of lean into somebody else's stuff and be there for somebody else?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. It definitely pauses it. Yeah. Um, I, the most important thing that I can do as a therapist is be fully present with you. Yeah. Your question that you asked that I don't think I even completely answered about what can somebody expect when they go to see a therapist. Yeah. The one thing you want to look for is somebody fully present.
1: That, that's a great tip.
0: Fully present. There is different, like you said, um, but I think before we were recording was there's a whole, all different types of modalities and different therapies. And so you're going to find differences between therapists and you probably have to do some of your own research if you want to figure out what's going to be a good fit for you. A lot of therapists are pretty eclectic now, right? We pull from different theories and different things to give you different tools. <laughs> right? But the one thing you really want is somebody really present and you want to know yourself well enough to look. To know if you're looking for a therapist who's going to give you a lot of space, right? Do I really need somebody who's going to give me a lot of space, really let me talk, really let me process? Or am I really looking for somebody who's going to drive the session more, right? Who's going to be asking the questions, kind of guiding the session more. Yeah. Um, so we talk about that as far as being directive or not. Am yeah. I a directive clinician or not? And I do what my client needs, so I have clients who want me to be directive. They don't really feel comfortable just coming in and blabbing. Yeah. Right? And there's people who just want to come down in and sit down and talk. And, right, they don't need me. They don't need me, honestly. <laughs> yeah. They don't need me to tell them where to go, typically. They don't need me to ask a bunch of questions to get them talking. Hmm. I ask poignant questions in the moment or I reflect things I'm hearing them saying when necessary. But I also sit back and do a lot of listening. In those sessions. Right, right. Right? Yeah. And the other sessions where somebody's really looking for me to drive the session, it's, I'm doing a lot of exploring, a lot of asking open-ended questions, a lot of supporting them and figuring out what they need to even be talking about in the room.
1: Right, cause right, sometimes right. they don't know is there is there one type of personality that you like better than the other or easy is easier? I'm sure somebody that just talks all the time, I can see where that would be easy, but I would also see where you're you're trying to keep that person on track and then ask the right questions and mm-hmm. get because I know me. I mean, I'll go left, right, left, right, left, right, talk about, you know, issues I had as a kid, then talk about yesterday or the next day or, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So is is there one person or or type that you like better than the other?
0: No, but I will tell you what type of client I like the best. Okay. Somebody who has insight and awareness and the ability to self-reflect, right? To some extent, or at least the openness that if I offer something to them, right? An insight. I'm seeing or hearing you say, and it makes me think that maybe, right? I want somebody, a client who's at least going to consider what I'm saying. And I could be wrong. And that's something I tell all my clients. Please tell me if I'm wrong. If I get it wrong, let me know. I'm not the expert. You're the expert. I'm offering you what I'm thinking, what I'm hearing a lot of times come from you. And if I don't get it quite right, if I say, oh, it seems like you were really afraid, and you're like, no, I wasn't really afraid, but I was feeling a little sad and disappointed, right? If I miss the emotion, right? If I say, it sounds like you're really frustrated with your friends, and you're like, no, I wasn't frustrated with my friends. I was frustrated with whatever, you know, my friend's boyfriend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, correct me. Please, thank you. I can't do my he- job if you're not what, correcting yeah, me. that helps you. Right? Don't yeah. be afraid to speak up. Talk about what goes on in our relationship because it is a real relationship. A lot of clients and therapists do not do that enough. And what goes on in the room is oftentimes pretty representative of stuff that goes on outside for the clients, right? So if I find that you're really defensive every time I suggest something, and I don't ever say to you, okay, well, it seems like every time I suggest something, you're pretty defensive. If I don't ever feel comfortable enough as your therapist to point that out to you, (laughs) I'm doing you a disservice.
1: So you kind of have a right to kind of pick and choose who's in your room as well. Is that what you're saying to me? or?
0: Um, I guess what I'm just saying is you asked if I have a client that I like the best. And yeah. it's clients who are really open and want to be there and are open to self-reflection and growth and awareness. Yeah. And you'd be surprised that some people do walk in the room and kind of just want to chat and not necessarily truly reflect on themselves.
1: No, no. I I wouldn't be surprised at all. You know what I mean? A a lot of people get scared when those kind of issues start coming up. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? I mean, I cried in therapy a bunch of times and it was, you know, I thought I was going to go in and talk about my day at the motel and how pissed off I was about Joe Blow screaming at me for something I didn't even do. And then I'm talking, you know, I'm crying about something that happened in seventh grade or some shit. You know what I mean? And when those feelings come up, they're, they they can be very overwhelming. They can mm-hmm. be very, you know, it's a downturn. Like you get very tired. It's a physical thing too. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was times where I came out of that office and I was just mentally and physically drained and I just wanted to go to sleep. Yeah. You know what I mean. So those emotions can be very heavy. Now you 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 said something that's very interesting, and it's 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 very uh, it's a big thing I think mm-hmm. is is being present. Mm-hmm. And I also want to tack on to that is active listening, mm-hmm. because those are two things that definitely correlate with each other, but are also really fucking hard to do. Mhm. So how do you put yourself in in those states of mind to like really be there because I mean even now I mean as you're talking I'm I'm trying to focus on you but I was like oh did I turn this off mm-hmm. did I do this and I would think that having I mean I would feel so much pressure you know, being part of somebody's life in such an intimate way that I want to be present and active list and and an active listener. So how do you keep yourself in those modes, you know, as you're doing this every day?
0: Mm -hmm. I mean, that's one of those things where it's like basic self-care is super important. Like I need to be fed and watered and have slept, right? <laughs> yeah, because you yeah, talk about yeah. being present and it's it takes energy to be present. It takes energy to actively listen. Yep. And if I'm not taking care of myself, I'm not going to be able to walk into a session and provide that for the client. And it's my job to do that. So yeah. I need to make sure just like if I was a truck driver, right? Like I need to sleep so that I can drive this truck without falling asleep and crashing.
1: Sure, sure, yeah. So
0: if I'm gonna have a session, I need to make sure that I've taken care of myself so that I can come in and take care of you, right? Hold the space for you, be present for you. Yeah. Because that's absolutely what I'm there for. Um, staying really grounded, right? If I'm having trouble staying present in a session, it's why, right? That Sometimes it's getting curious because like you said, you're sensitive to energies. If you're sensitive to energy, it might be that the client's kind of distracted and I'm picking up on that distracted energy. Sometimes it's information. Sometimes what I'm feeling in my body is information about what's going on in the room.
1: So you're very in tune with what your body is telling you.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I, you know, I feel very blessed that I'm like that. I, I uh, you know, with the working out stuff that I do, like I, I'm very aware of when my body is like, yo... I know you're supposed to be on day three of your routine this week, but like, I'm tired. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And you have to listen to it because that's when you can go and hurt yourself. Mm-hmm. So is there times where you're like, damn, I'm not going to be good at this today. I need to do something to kind of figure that out. And I mean, do you have any like um, breathing exercises mm-hmm. that you do for yourself or do you do yoga or what do you do to center yourself before you, if, if you're not, if you're feeling off your game, what do you do to center yourself?
0: Yeah. Oftentimes it's just taking a couple of minutes to shut my eyes and take some deep breaths, right? Because I often have clients back to back. So it's not a lot of time or I'll take a walk around the block if I have time, Mm -hmm. right? Just like ground, really grounding. It can just be um, putting my feet against the floor, really feeling the earth below my feet and grounding myself. Like, okay, just take a couple deep breaths, ground yourself. Yeah. Listening to a song or a few – you know, a few songs if I have time to just kind of soothe myself. Whatever you find soothing. Yeah. Um, and I think I haven't had this experience, but there are definitely clinicians who if they're going through profound grief, right, or something or illness, right, cancer or a death in the family, like their own cancer or a death in their family or a really, really terrible divorce or things that are really uprooting their emotional stuff, yeah. they'll take a couple weeks off.
1: Oh, they just got to remove themselves completely. You
0: have to know, right? That's part of the job. You have to know when I'm not in a place where I can support other people.
1: (laughs) Totally. Right? And if
0: you you don't know that, if you aren't somebody who's checking in with yourself, you probably shouldn't be doing this kind of work. Yeah. Because you can do more harm than good.
1: Yeah, that's a lot of power. I mean, it's like the old uh, Uncle Ben Spider-Man thing, you know, with great power comes great responsibility, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And you have, again, the awareness and being in the moment and active mm-hmm. listening. I mean, it's it's a really big responsibility to be in your seat. Yeah. You know, it would be scary for me to do that. I don't know if I'd be able to handle that type of responsibility.
0: Yeah, it can feel that way. It can also feel like we're it's human to human right? It's yeah. human to human. I'm here to support you as a human. And to go back to that presence and active listening, the number one thing they find in research is that the number one thing that affects change and outcomes in therapy, right? So like how well somebody does after therapy is the therapeutic relationship. Not, not what type of therapy, right? Cause there's different types of therapy, not how much, not like a master's level clinician versus like a PhD or an MD, um, but the therapeutic relationship, so how the therapist and the client interact, like what kind of rapport and relationship and trust is built there, Right, that's the number one factor in whether or not there's a positive outcome from the therapy for the client.
1: Yeah. It's about trust, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, th- that's what you're talking about, right? The trust factor. It, I mean, basically, right?
0: Trust and feeling a connection, right? Cause yeah. it is people to people. And you know, I mean, it's no different than trying to find a friend or a date, like, there's perfectly nice people out there who you're not going to connect with.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? yeah.
0: So there's perfectly good therapists that you're going to sit in the room and be like, I just don't think she gets me. For whatever reason, it doesn't mean she's not trustworthy. You may go in that room knowing, I can probably say anything in here and I trust that she's not going to judge me, hopefully. Yeah. But if you just don't feel that connection, like I, I feel understood, I feel seen, I feel heard, then you're in the wrong room. Right. Fire your therapist.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Honestly, and people are too afraid to.
1: Really? People So have they'll a hard... stay with the wrong person for a long amount of time and oh, not Oh
0: yeah. Ooh. I mean, the same people who don't That you sounds know. like a bummer. Yeah.
1: That sounds like a like yeah. a bad relationship. <laughs>
0: right. Exactly. It's the same people who stay in bad relationships, I'm sure. Right. But because that's really what it is. It's about building that relationship from the client and the therapist.
1: Yeah. And then what do you do to like decompress from all this stuff? Because like I said, I mean, I, again, I was thinking about it all this morning. I don't know why I was so focused on this, but like taking on all that energy, all those emotions, all those uh, past traumas, you know, or future worries, you know, how do you decompress after your day? 'Cause you go you go right home to two boys. After,
0: I do. After the day. I do. I play. Yeah, right. I play with them. Um, so I mean, in a way, they're really helpful for decompressing because they are they're perfectly little innocent present people, right? That's what kids are. Kids are great at presence. Yeah. So I walk into that and I'm present with them and I play. How do I not take that home though? Yeah. I think I've worked really hard to have a really great sense of faith that people will mostly be okay. So as hard as what there is, I I think I have to believe this as a therapist. I think that most people are capable of healing. I think that we are all capable of it if we want it. Mm -hmm. Um, And the people who are coming to me absolutely want it. That's why they're in therapy. And so I trust that what I'm doing is enough. I trust that I can't save them. I can't fix them, but I can help them do that themselves. And I trust that they will be okay. Okay in the scheme of things, right? They may not be okay today. Sure, But I really have a deep, profound faith in the fact that most people are going to find their way to the other side of whatever struggle they're on and that they're going to be okay. Yeah. And I'm sure, I guess the scarier times for me have been when maybe, you know, there's some suicidal ideation at play for the client. Oh, have you had to deal with that? I have. Um, I haven't had anybody who I've had to 5150, which means put on a psych hold, like Mm -hmm. call the police and put them on a psych hold because I'm worried they're going to act on it. Yeah. But I've definitely had clients who have talked about the thoughts. And that can be a little bit more hard for me to leave behind at work. And I don't think I should be leaving that behind at work.
1: It's it's like uh, uh, somebody kind of flicking the switch, like hey, you're putting up a flag, like maybe, yeah, you know what I mean. How do you it's, do? How do you do with that? Because that seems like a really deep subject, man. And that that would like that would that would play with my mind.
0: Yeah, you have to really. I mean, you have to be able to trust your clients. Hopefully, that they're going to let you know if it's more than a thought. Yeah, and you have to have the ability to kind of figure out what's. What's causing the thoughts, right? Some people have a really hard time when they're feeling frustrated. Like, and so this I just want to kill myself thing can feel like it comes, for some people, it's more of an impulse. Like, that's what they, kind of like somebody who says, I want to pull my hair out when they get angry.
1: Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Some people just
0: say it. And so you have to know how to discern, is this person saying it because they mean it or because it's kind of like their go-to Phrase to express how frustrated they are.
1: Sure, sure. Um,
0: If they're really feeling that way, oftentimes it's about how can you create some hope for that person, even if it's just hope between this session and next session, to get them just through that week. Um, And I, with all of my clients, not just people who are struggling in that way, I let them text me between sessions. I know different therapists have different stances on that. Um, I actually felt unsure about that until I saw a therapist who told me I could text her in between ses- sessions. And I have utilized that myself when I'm having a really hard day and I find it really helpful and really useful. And we're not doing a whole therapy session via text. Absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. But sometimes you just need that reminder of the thing the, the therapist said in the session, reassurance, right? Reassurance. Yeah. A little reassurance, a little reminder. Um, somebody to just check in throughout the week. And I don't have – most clients don't take me up on that very often. But I also think letting them know that I'm there between sessions if they really need it, whether it's a text check-in or a text to ask for an extra session or a phone call between sessions, absolutely, I want them to know I'm there for them. Yeah. And I think sometimes just knowing that can be helpful even if they don't use it.
1: Well, I, you know, I'm thinking what it, what is the biggest benefits about going to a therapist opposed to somebody like a friend that, you know, you know what I mean? Because, you, you know, I mean, first and foremost, you're probably more liable to talk to the therapist about some deeper shit, right, yeah. where you're still wearing a mask. You know, in front of a friend or a family member, there's still going to be hesitation there, right? Mm-hmm. So, I, I would say the biggest thing is is you can be more open, right? But is there any other things that that you would say that are a bigger benefit talking to a therapist about your stuff than somebody you know?
0: So, yes, you're definitely going to probably have less fear of judgment in a therapist's office. You're also getting that presence and that active listening that is not particularly common in peer-to-peer relationships. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Honestly, yeah, it's yeah, not. Yeah, and you yeah, may yeah. get like a small fragment of that. Right. But most of the time when you're talking to a peer, it's either they're going to relate what you just said to themselves, right? Which can do some normalizing for you. Like, oh, I'm not the only one going through this experience. But it's not giving you a lot of space because now the conversations switch to be about them. Right? Yeah. So having the space where it's all about you and you really have the space to process totally through whatever you're trying to talk about instead of the back and forth exchange that is normally what happens in peer-to-peer,
1: yeah. right?
0: I talk, you talk, I talk, you talk. And we talk about our, like, I say I, how my day was, you say how your day was, right? Right. We talk about our, I talk about my boyfriend, right? You talk about your girlfriend, whatever. Um, you're not doing that in the therapist room. In the therapist room, it's just about you. In the therapist room, you process through what you're saying from start to finish. Yeah. Also, of course, I have education and training to bring in some understanding and insights into things that are going on for you that maybe your peers don't. Right. Right? To actually have an idea of where to guide you and why to guide you there. Sure. And so those are the things that you can look for or Expect in a therapist's room versus a peer-to-peer conversation, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Um, well and not, you know, taking some shots or smoking some weed before you get into an intense conversation or something.
0: Yeah. And oftentimes if it's a close, right, the people who you might feel the most comfortable talking about these intimate things with, like your wife or husband or your very best friend, those people are they love and care about you so profoundly that typically they're gonna have a really big bias, bias, right? Or they're going to be very concerned. They're going to want, right? If you're talking, for instance, we'll go back to this addiction that we talked about in the beginning as metaphor. If you're talking to them about like, I think I might have a drinking problem, they're going to want you to stop right now, right? They're going to be scared for you. They're going to have a whole lot of, want to pressure you into stopping, needing you to, right? And that
1: might freak you out even more and go down the tube even more.
0: Right. Or just, you're not ready. You're not there. Right. And that can be problematic for that relationship.
1: Wow. Cause right? they start freaking out over everything you do. And now and- you
0: don't trust them. You can't tell them anymore. Wow. They want you to yeah. stop. You're not ready to stop. You just want to bounce ideas off somebody. You go into a therapist room and not that I I love my clients. I absolutely genuinely love and care for my clients, but I don't have that bias. I see it as yes, I probably can see when somebody's an alcoholic that needs to quit drinking before they see it sometimes. Mm. But I don't have the bias as far as, like, I need them to stop. Otherwise, I won't feel okay. Right. Right? Yeah. I'll be too scared all the time because he's my husband. Right? That's scary if it's your husband. That's scary if it's your very best friend. Right. If it's my client, I can have the patience and hold the space and kind of help them get to a place where they're ready versus trying to get them to be ready before they are.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you done any work outside of the Santa Cruz area?
0: Um, well, I worked in San Jose. Okay. Uh, but those were all in the nonprofit agencies. I also worked up in Fairfield when I was living in Vallejo in a nonprofit agency. Okay. And then some of my, because now I do private practice on Zoom, some of my clients are in like the Santa Rosa, Petaluma,
1: oh, wow. Vallejo,
0: Davis, Sacramento. Like I can, I can see clients anywhere in California.
1: Oh, that's kind of cool. Right. So
0: that is the other perk of Zoom.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) Um, And well, I guess the reason I asked you that is, is because, you know, the Santa Cruz and Central Coast area, we're very health conscious. We're very mindful people. We're about the environment. Do you find that there's a difference with the people that you talk to in this area compared to the people that are outside of the area by any chance?
0: Not with my clients so far, but I do think I probably would see it if I practiced in a different state. But mm. in general, I think California
1: is like-minded with that more kind of so, stuff. definitely right.
0: more so right. than certain other states. Um and I might say there there's probably something about me that attracts a certain type of client. Mm. Right? That would be my guess. Is when somebody's looking for a therapist, there's going to be some commonalities between these people that they're choosing me. Right. I yeah, know. no, that
1: that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, what what are the biggest things that you've learned about yourself mm. doing this? Because again. I had no idea that doing a podcast, interviewing other people, I was going to, you know, feel and find out so much about myself. It was kind of like a shocker. Mm -hmm. You know, I just hit a wall one day and I was just like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. And I'm talking about people that are starting businesses (laughs) and are hobby enthusiasts. And you know what I mean? Nothing, nothing. I wouldn't say anything too profound or too deep. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? I mean, people have really cool stories, but it just, it was a trip that it hit me so hard. And I know that i found out a lot about myself doing this, so I can't imagine what you have figured out about yourself, but what's your biggest takeaways? Oh, man. <laughs> if you want to talk oh, about them.
0: <laughs> yeah, no. Um, it's much easier to give somebody advice than it is to take your own advice, which everybody knows, but...
1: It's different when you experience it.
0: It's different when you experience it. And the growth never ends. The growth never ends. Like I'm never going to be at an end point. My clients are never going to be at an end point, which is kind of scary, but also relieving. Like you're always going to be growing. You're always going to be doing better. You're always going to be shifting and changing. And I think I know that in a really profound way now that maybe I didn't before. Mm. Um, I'm still a work in progress. For sure. Yeah. I'm still a huge work in progress. And for anybody who thinks your therapist knows it all, they don't. Ah. Um, Has it all together, they don't. I often do tell clients that I go to therapy. I want it to be normalized for them. Like, just because I do this work doesn't mean I don't need my own therapist. Just like I hope your doctors are going to get checkups from a different doctor too. <laughs> right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Seriously, though. <laughs> like, you'd be amazed what people think. Yeah. Um, Right and we're all just humans. Nobody has it all together. So much of what we do and why we do it is just trying to feel better. Oftentimes not in the best ways, Yeah. you know? And as you said, the more we can learn about why we do what we do, the more we can choose to do things in a different way if we want to.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you find that when you're in these sessions with people, do people go back to their childhood a lot? I mean, that, that's where everything starts, right? I mean, I know that I've gotten a lot of things, um, from my childhood that are still affecting me and will always affect me mm-hmm. till the day I'm gone. You know what I mean? And, and is that like the place that everybody starts at?
0: Well, can I ask you something?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Did you bring that into your sessions on your own when you started going to therapy? About or did, childhood? Yeah. Or did your therapist kind of prompt you?
1: No. Well, I. it's super personal. like, I, and, and I don't want to front anybody out. So yeah. I'll tell you exactly what it is when we get off. Okay. But there was something that happened in my childhood with somebody that was very close to me that I realized – is why I think a certain thing about mm-hmm. a certain thing
0: mm-hmm.
1: or a certain way about a certain thing. You
0: realize the impact it had on you and where. Oh yeah. You. Okay. Oh
1: yeah. And, and, and no, I brought that up, but okay. again, I'm a fucking dogger. You right. Know what I mean?
0: So that's why I was asking. Cause a lot of people don't necessarily bring up their childhoods. <laughs> like they will at times in passing, but it's not like the focus for them. Um, It depends on, so this is where you get into different therapeutic um, theories. Mm. So I'm somebody who really works psychodynamically, which basically means that I believe we all are who we are because of our childhoods. Primarily the first five years are the most impactful as far as developing our ways of thinking, our attachment styles, all that stuff. So because of my theoretical orientation, I make all of my clients talk about their childhoods.
1: (laughs) So it's where you start.
0: Um, I don't always start right there, but we get into it within the first, like, three to five sessions. Right. Sometimes, because I am, I want to be where the client needs to be. So if you come in and you just had a terrible day and you really need to talk about that day, I'm not going to make you talk about your childhood, right?
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Um,
0: But it is important for me to find out pretty early on what your childhood looked like. What were some of the profound experiences of your childhood? Was there any trauma? Um, That stuff absolutely shaped who you are today. Yeah. Um, Some therapists do things more like CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, Those kinds of therapies are more symptom management, in my personal opinion, if not combined with something else. So they're really looking at what you do and what you think today. And they don't necessarily look at why as much as how do we change it. And what led you
1: down the path of of thinking that starting at the beginning was more important than anything? Why is that mm-hmm. the way you you conduct your therapy sessions?
0: Well, my own experience in therapy before mm-hmm. I was ever a therapist when I was 20, right? Um, more like you, knowing that some of my experiences as a child, many of them shaped who I am and why I am the way I am and a whole lot about why I'm having the problems I'm having,
1: <laughs> right?
0: Right, right. Um, and so how and I want to I want to fix the problem not just the symptom. That's what I want for myself. That's what I was looking for in therapy, right? I want to process through the reason I'm doing these things, not just stop doing the thing. Yeah. Because then I'll just so w- let's say you're a drug addict, right? And you just you you stop your addiction. That's fantastic. You are if you don't deal with the reason you are yep. using drugs, yep. you're gonna go to something else. Whether it's something healthy like exercise, right, or work, which are healthier, right? They're not physically necessarily bad for your body, but anything that you're doing in an addictive way is not healthy because you're escaping, a good thing is a right? Bad thing. You're just yep. escaping, so you're not processing what needs to be processed. So if you're and and it often does lead to a detrimental outcome in some ways, right? A workaholic. You're losing connection, you're losing family time, you're losing friendships, you're probably losing maybe sleep, maybe exercise, right, other things that are good for your body sure. if you're working all the time because you can't handle whatever you're feeling, if you need to constantly distract and escape, which is what most of the stuff stems from. Right. Um, you know, I went to – I'll share. I went to therapy originally because I had an eating disorder. Oh, wow. So – and that was something I I suffered with myself for – a good five years before I decided to go to therapy. Yeah. Um, right. And I could have just stopped engaging in eating disorder behaviors, right, um, or – which I did do, but – or I could also look at why was I doing this in the first place? What was I – get? how was it serving me? Right. Right. How can I find healthier ways to cope? How can I process through the emotions that I don't want to feel so that instead of having to cope with them, I can process through them and not need to cope?
1: Right. Geez, I'm thinking that I need to get back into therapy now because, I, well, you know, when I stopped doing drugs, my my main go to to protect myself and keep myself safe, you know, and people have heard me say this on a podcast before but I've been living under a rock for like 15 years. I'm in my cave. That's where I live. And for me, it's my safe place. I'm protected from drugs. I'm protected from alcohol. I'm protected from the streets. I'm protected from all the things that took me down that slippery slope. You know what I mean? But on the flip side, I have this weird relationship with humans now. Right. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I, I, my friend catalog, I wouldn't say is very big, you know what I mean? and, and, you know, when things come up that I, I want to do, like, a you know, one of my kids' birthday parties or, you know, the Super Bowl or something, I can never really find anybody around that wants to be part of my little clan and come over and do that mm-hmm. with me. But it's, I, I realize, though, it's because I'm not making those connections. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Because I live the way I live. Mm-hmm. So I feel like me being by myself and being alone is my byproduct Of not totally fixing all my issues from, you know, my drug abuse. Maybe. You you know?
0: So this is where if we want to get a little therapeutic here, I would say, well, how does it feel for you being alone? I love it. Okay. So, and what were you getting from using the drugs and the alcohol or whatever it was that was your kind of-
1: Escape from my pain.
0: Right. And did it also maybe help you socialize?
1: Damn. Yes, it did.
0: So one thing that I work with a lot with clients is figuring out who you are. We're not all the same. Yes, there's groups that tend to be more alike, but we're not all the same, right? I know your wife, right? She's very extroverted. Yes. Right? Incredibly (laughs) extroverted. Enough for
1: both of us.
0: (laughs) And that's great. That's fine. But not everybody is extroverted and not everybody who is extroverted or are as extroverted as she is, right? Sure. So who are you and what works for you and how do you create a life that feels good for you. That's what counts.
1: So I'm not like you. You wouldn't classify me as like some weirdo that just wants to be alone and all that stuff. It's just how I it it it, it pertains to me and how it makes me feel. Because, Monisa, I mean, I wake up at three in the morning so I, I can <laughs> so I can be by myself.
0: Right. You
1: know, Tanika asked me the, a couple of weeks ago. She says, "Let me ask you a question. Would you rather be with me or would you rather be by yourself?" And I was like, "Oh shit." Oh, don't ask me that. And it, it wasn't like, I'm not dead serious. Of course, I want to be with my wife. You know what I mean? But I-
0: You love your alone time.
1: I love, I, there's something about it. I just feel so secure and normal and and like I can really just be myself. Mm-hmm. Whereas when I'm out in society, and again, that's why I like to do the one-on-one interviews, right? Mm-hmm. I have I have this one connection with the person that I'm sitting with. I don't have to worry about Tom, Dick, and Harry that's being part of the conversation and have to wear four different masks for one conversation mm-hmm. you know and that's the other thing is i get tired of wearing the fucking mask i get tired of the persona i get tired of you know all these people oh you have a podcast you got to be out there you got to why well, do what the fuck i want to do bro you know what i mean <laughs> just because i'm this doesn't mean i have to be that and that's another thing that i've learned about myself i am a fucking contradiction and that's okay.
0: Most people are. Yeah. Y- yeah.
1: And and But I think people haven't really come to terms with that.
0: Well, it's hard in society to explain that. Yeah, I, mm-hmm.
1: I guess. Yeah, I guess. Right? I, like,
0: how do you explain that I can be both? A lot of people want, right, we like to put things in boxes and categories. Our brains like
1: that. Compartmentalize. I and mean,
0: our brains like it because it makes our brains think we're safe. And our brains are designed to see something and categorize it, right? Yeah. That's very evolutionary. See that, okay, that's a fruit. It's safe to eat. See that, okay, that's a poisonous plant. Can't eat that, right? Right. That's a bear. Should be scared. That's a butterfly. It's okay, right? Primitive caveman days. That's what our brain's designed to do. Categorize so we know if we're safe or not. Quickly, quickly categorize. Yeah. So the more complex we are, the harder we are for other people's brains to categorize.
1: So that's another way of putting a mask on and having a persona. Is that what you're saying?
0: It's Well, it's part of why it's hard for other people to accept that you maybe have contradictions. Mm. Right? And it's part of why we do limit what we show other people. Because then we're easier to categorize for them and for ourselves. Right. Right?
1: So do you think it's important to be as authentic as possible? Or do you think masks and personas are important? I'm, I'm asking that as an opinion, not, not like a, what did they teach you in school? I mean, right,
0: right. So I don't like masks. I, so do you, when you say mask, do you mean you're only showing a part of your personality or literally it's fake? you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. I mean, I would say both. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm talking about like Alan Watts, you know, conversations, talking about personas and masks. I'm talking about them as an analogy of mm-hmm. of you're not totally yourself when you're out in the world. Nobody is. I, I mean, it, right. it would be fucking impressive to meet somebody like that. But no, okay. I, I, I don't. I, to me, I don't think anybody walks around without a persona or a mask on.
0: Yeah. I think they have a use. Yeah. Right. And so it is important to have relationships in your life where you're more authentic and spaces in your life, even if they're alone or with your wife or with your kids or with your best friend or your therapist, where you can drop that to some degree.
1: So you think they're important to have, but you also think that they're, they're, you, you should have safe places to be able to take them off so you can kind of breathe.
0: Yeah. Cause it's not, it would not be wise or safe to go out in the world and be completely vulnerable all the time. Right. And that's what being authentic is. Like you need to know who to show certain qualities and characteristics to. Mm, Does that make sense?
1: Absolutely. Okay. Like you don't
0: want to walk into your boss, depending on your relationship with your boss, but in a lot of like corporate America, right? Sure. You don't want to walk into your boss and start crying and telling them all your intimate problems. (laughs) Right. And like, this (laughs) is why I'm having a hard time meeting my goals at work. And like, that's not going to be appropriate. They're going to think you need to take a leave of absence for your mental health. And maybe you do, but they're probably not going to See it in the appropriate way. Versus, I'm lucky. I'm a therapist, right? You were. If I walked into my boss because he's also a therapist, I could do that. Right. But you kind of have to know where it's actually safe to be told or totally vulnerable. Where can I? Where can I do this, and it's going to be received and held, right? Yeah, held, not judged, not mocked.
1: Yeah. There's just not that many places that that, that's not going to happen. You know what I mean? And I also think with the way that the American society is and social media, I think that's totally turned everything upside down on its head. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, again, I have all these weird relationships with with people and things, you know, social media is like this up and down thing for me. Right. I never, you know. I'm not one of those people where I'm like, oh, they, you know, they're taking all their information and they're storing about, well, yeah, dog, you didn't press you you just scanned through the fucking agreed thing and you just pressed agree so you could jump on Facebook after the update. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It says what they're doing in there. You know what I mean? And I also think it's good to have connections with family members and friends or whatever. So I, I don't look at it as like this evil tool, but at the same time, it burns me out. You know what I mean? And then trying to have a regular relationship in real life. You know what I mean? It's just, everything's just like flipped up with social media and it seems weird. Do you? Do, what, what's your take on social media?
0: It can be a blessing and a curse. So it depends how you're using it. There are so many people on social media who really, they use it as a highlight reel. And I see this a lot with my teenage clients it can be really hard to see people's highlight reel all the time and remember that it's just a highlight reel, right? That's toxic in a lot of ways. Um, it's not real life. It's just a snapshot of, like, the, their most perfect moment. <laughs> right. Um, that's not particularly helpful. But we have seen a shift in social media, right, especially Instagram. I guess I don't use TikTok, so I can't speak on that. I don't really use Snapchat either. I can't speak on that. But especially on Instagram, I've seen a shift towards people on Instagram wanting to be more authentic. Mm. Um, That's when when I had kids, I shifted my Instagram. I found that it was really important to be authentic. I wanted to share my experience as a mom to two boys in an authentic way. And I I have always been pretty authentic on social media. Like I find that to be a place where I will go on and I will – I will post something where when I'm crying, um, I will try to share some of my real struggles and not just my perfect moments. And though the, when people use social media in that way, I think it can be really connective. Hmm. right? You can actually feel like, oh, I'm not alone without having to go and talk to somebody. So there's this whole duality to the behind a screen thing, right? That allows some people to get more vulnerable to create connections like via, they see somebody post something that really resonates for them, they're going to reach out via Messenger or whatever and connect in a way that they probably would never have face-to-face because you would have showed up with your personas, right?
1: Right, right.
0: And so that can be really beautiful and really normalizing. Right. um, When people use it in that way to really share more of their authentic experience and to be mindful that. Of course, I'm going on and choosing when I show that I'm crying, so it's still in a way curated.
1: What was your uh, uh, what was your um, experience with putting on you crying?
0: Um, I mean, I wasn't like bawling, but, well, <laughs> like, yeah, but, but um, People responded really, you know, the people who know me a little bit more in real life of course com- uh, messaged me. and I mean anybody've ne- I have not really had people say anything negative yeah um, so did, did, probably did people you feel who good about like it? I felt vulnerable
1: and and what does that feel like to a therapist
0: to get vulnerable on social media yeah um. Right, and that's the whole thing with social media is it does change our relationship with this positive reinforcement. Like, yeah. oh, it feels good because somebody's reaching out and they care. Right. Of course, I'm a human too, um, <laughs> yeah. right? And same thing, like, oh, I'm getting likes on this post where I talked about something vulnerable or shared a struggle or said something I thought was insightful. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's a lot of feedback. I do sometimes have in the back of my mind, oh, what if my cl- – because my profile's not private – Uh, Because I'm trying to reach the mom community and just the women community in general with sharing things about struggles and mental health and all of this stuff. So I don't have a private profile, but I do have to be aware that my clients could find me. And that would be a shift, could be a shift in our relationship for them. Because as a therapist, I don't always want my clients to know a lot about me personally. Mm. I want to be a blank slate for them, Mm. right? If they know that I have two kids... And they get pregnant and aren't sure if they want to have the baby. I don't want them to come in feeling like I can't talk to her about abortion because she has kids. Right? Which is a made-up thing in their own head. But you know how that is. Sure. Or if I'm not religious, but if I was and I had Christian stuff all over my profile thinking, oh, she's going to tell me I'm going to go to hell if I tell her that I had sex before marriage. Right. (laughs) Right. Right? Right? So people – part of being a – therapist is knowing when to share about yourself because it's going to help the therapeutic relationship and knowing when not to, right? Cause you don't want, you don't ever want your beliefs, your v- values, your opinions, your life to impose anything on the client.
1: So you have to be very aware of what you're saying all the time and what you're doing and how you're moving and cause you don't want it. Wow. Those little subtleties. Mm-hmm. I didn't really think about that. You yeah, know what I, I mean? try to be
0: very mindful. Yeah. Right. Um, Which is also another thing that's so different from peer-to-peer. My friends will tell you, Tanika can tell you, that I don't watch everything I say. I'm not a therapist when I'm hanging out with my girlfriends. I'm not in therapist mode, right?
1: Right. That's
0: not turned on. I relate on peer-to-peer level, and I talk just like anybody else, mostly.
1: (laughs) Right, right, right.
0: (laughs) Mostly, for the most part, right? I, too... With my really, really closest people, I'm going to be more biased and want them to change quicker and have trouble with the seeing them do something I really think is wrong for them thing. And do you ever
1: take the the therapy mode and bring it into your relationships and people be like, oh, great, here it goes. You know, I mean, we joked around about that at the Christmas party. Yeah. You know what I mean? I was like, what are you going to do? Come on and judge me about everybody or analyze me, I said, or something like that. Does it ever come out and you're like, oh, shit, sorry.
0: I don't think I judge, but I think sometimes I do reflect things kind of the way you said – Oh, maybe I should go back to counseling because I created my whole little world and like, and then I kind of reflected back to you. Yeah. Well, does it work for you better now? Is it just because you're really introverted and maybe the drugs and alcohol were just a way for you to socialize and not be true to who you are?
1: <laughs> that was a. Tri- I'm sorry to interrupt, but goddamn, that was a trip because I it, it that was one of the reasons. That I it just that I didn't realize that until right now when you said that. So that was kind of weird. Sorry.
0: No. So I think I do that right. So I wasn't. Being a therapist, but I said something that I saw because I saw it and said it in a way that I might in a session. But right. we were just having a normal conversation, right? Right, right? So, just like if we were hanging out and I said, Oh, how's life going? And you said, I don't know, I've been thinking maybe I need to socialize more, la, la, la. And I might say, Because I'm a therapist. Oh, but do you need to socialize more or do you just need to accept that you're actually introverted? And I see it that way because I'm a therapist and I offer it to you that way, right? It was a question. I didn't tell you. Right. <laughs> and so I say. I think I say things in a way that maybe somebody else might, and I see things that somebody else might because of my profession.
1: And do do you feel like people get like leery of you coming around now because you're you're a therapist and you do this? Do do have you had any friends fall off because of it? Like because they oh, gotten no. scared.
0: No. no, not friends, but dates. <laughs> You'd be surprised how many men. And and that, I mean, that already tells me, right? You hear that I'm a therapist and you're like, oh, that's so cool because you appreciate and respect what I do, right? Yeah. So that tells me a lot about the person, whether it's a f- potential friend or a potential date. If they're like, oh, are you going to psychoan- psychoanalyze me? Like, I don't know about that. Okay, you're already not for me because you clearly don't respect what I do.
1: Mm. Oh, like? yeah, because it's like kind of mocking it and yeah. putting it down a little bit, yeah. right?
0: Versus, and you can tell, somebody might say like, oh, I'm a little worried because, and that's different. If they say I'm a little worried, I don't want to be judged, okay, that's authentic, that's fine. If you've never dated a therapist or been friends with a therapist and you're concerned, no, of course I'm not judging you, I'm not diagnosing you, I'm not, no, we can talk about that. But if you're just going to make a big joke out of what I do, then no. We're not going to go on a date <laughs> we're not going to be friends. Well,
1: if if there was a guy out there right now that's listening to the podcast and they're getting ready to go on a date with a therapist and they're mm-hmm. kind of worried about it, what would you tell them to kind of calm their nerves and be like, it's it's a job, bro, it's a career. This is what, they, what what would you tell them?
0: If anything, we are going to have more graciousness towards any of their stuff mm. than a regular person would. Yeah. We're not – we don't judge We may see things that somebody might not see right away, right? We may see if you are quick to get defensive or if you have a really hard time getting vulnerable or sharing anything real with us on a first date, right? But we're also probably quicker to understand, have compassion. That's what I was going to say, yeah. uh, Feel for you on a human-to-human level, appreciate your honesty, you know?
1: And if you got into a relationship with a man, like, would – I'm trying to think how to say this. Would, would that person – would it be okay for them to expect to have, like, sessions with you or would you kind of push that off? I mean, not, like, full-on mm. sessions, but, I mean, it seems like, you know, there would be times in a relationship where they'd be like, shit, I don't know if I should tell Monica this or, mm. you know what I mean, or how how would that, that dynamic work if if you knew that – If you were with somebody for like a year and you're like, dang, I, I know because I'm a therapist that there's this issue that needs to be worked on. Like, how would you go about like getting that out? You know what I mean? Without you doing the work, Mm. because I'm assuming that you probably wouldn't be the best person to do that.
0: No. Um, I mean, on a professional level, that's absolutely not something I can, I can't work with people I know. So like, I could never be your therapist
1: that was my next uh, question. Yeah.
0: Uh, so ethically speaking, it's a big no-no to do like a dual relationship thing. Mm. So like I like you're my dentist and I'm your therapist. No no. That they do obviously if you live in a super tiny town, there's going to be some trouble completely preventing that. Like if there really is, if you lived in a town where there really was one dentist, obviously I would have to go to that dentist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's different. Um, but I also can't date clients even. Even once they've stopped seeing me, like legally, I can lose my license for that. Wow. Um, So they really, you know, they're supposed to be a separation. And we, I have not run into any clients yet, but living in a smaller, you know, Santa Cruz is not a huge town. I'm sure at some point I will. Yeah. You know, I had, who was it? Oh, somebody told me, I, yes, one of my clients told me that her boyfriend ran, they ran into his therapist while they were at the grocery store recently. Right? So it does happen. You can run into people, but you don't want to have a full-on relationship in any way before or after the work.
1: What do you do? Do you like ignore the person or something? Or are you like, oh, hey, what's up? Mm -hmm. So
0: I talk about it with my clients. So basically it's up to you, right? Because it's confidential. Yeah. So the fact that I'm your therapist is totally confidential. So it's up to you. If you want to acknowledge me, I will acknowledge you back. But I'm not (laughs) going to acknowledge you first. Oh, okay. Because that's kind of breaking confidentiality, right? Imagine if you didn't want Tanika to know you were in therapy. Yeah. And then you ran into your therapist at the store, and she was like, "Hi, Naty Voda." <laughs> right? And then Tanika's like, "Who is that?" And then you were put in a position where you had to say,
1: "Wouldn't you be that's in the wrong therapist. relationship already?" Okay, if so you that's your be... wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what if it was your
0: boss? Like you, right. you're running, air, you know, whatever your job is, you're like getting lunch with your boss, and you see your therapist. You don't. Your boss does not need to know you have a therapist, right? right but then right. if that person says hi to you, you're put in a position where your boss is gonna be like, "Oh, how'd you know her?" Yeah. And then you either have to lie or say she's your therapist. That's why I don't say hi to clients first. But if the, if you wanted to say hi to me, right, you're out to lunch with your boss and you want to say hi to me, great. I'll say hi back to you. I'm not going to say how I know you, though. Right. That's up to you. You can either introduce me, oh, this is my therapist, or you can be like, oh, this is Monica. Like, I know her from back in the day. Whatever. It doesn't matter to me.
1: Right, right, right.
0: But it's, the ball's always in your court. That's cool. As man. a client.
1: And I, I I didn't realize that you worked with teenagers. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to ask you, what is like the biggest teenage problem in like 2022? Is it is it like a social media thing? Like we've mm-hmm. been told in the media or, you know, because it seems like – that's all you hear in the, I mean, I've stopped watching the news. I don't watch the fucking news anymore. It mm-hmm. drives me insane. It makes me afraid. It me makes too. it makes me paranoid. It makes me think that we're gonna run out of water next week, or, you know, Covid is gonna kill me if I get infected by it, or mm-hmm. you know, so I've cut that out of my life. But on the media, in the media, they, they're they constantly pushing the, you know, teenage suicide because of Facebook or, or Instagram or whatever. Is that a big problem that you see? Or what is like a, a big teenage problem in 2022?
0: I think it's the same problem most teenagers have probably had forever, which is feeling like they're the only ones yeah. going through this awkward teenage phase, figuring out how they are. But it's extremely exacerbated now that they're social media, right? Yeah. So imagine when you were in high school, mm-hmm. right? And there wasn't social media. So you were like, oh, you know, Bobby down I'm the street. don't date me. <laughs> Bobby down. Well, there wasn't social media when I was in high school either. Like no Instagram, Yeah, yeah right? but we,
1: we were rocking with like pagers back in my day. Man. <laughs> but anyways. <laughs> I, you know, some
0: things are better with age. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah.
0: Um, So you were just comparing yourself to like Bobby down the street. Right. And you saw what you saw of his real life. Yeah. Like you saw him come out of gym class sweaty still, right? You yeah. saw the reality of his life to the small extent that you can see anybody's life when you're not living in it. You didn't see his highlight reel. If he went to a party you weren't invited to, you didn't necessarily know, mm. right? Yeah. But now you see on Snapchat or Instagram that all these people from your school are at this party and you weren't invited, right? You see, so and so hanging out, and you want them to be your friend. You see, so there's this master comparison going on, which with things that are not the full picture. Yeah, that always have gone on, but it's exacerbated now because of social media. Yeah, the comparison thing is just rampant, and we've always done it. That's
1: adults too, though, man. That comparison exactly. thing. Yeah,
0: but the thing with teenagers is that they have no. Idea, they're still figuring out who they are. Yeah, and they don't think they're normal most of the time. Like so much of what I do is normalizing their experience. Like, it's normal to worry about what people think about you at 17. Totally. Everybody, And it is something that most people grow out of to some extent, yeah. right? You really, you get more confident, you get more secure in who you are because you figure it out, not because you have like You don't know who you are at 17.
1: Or you get comfortable with yourself. Right, right? but
0: yeah. I don't think you even know who yourself is at 17 well, to get comfortable with it yet.
1: <laughs> honest, I just went through a midlife crisis where I was like, why am I on this planet? You know what I mean? Right. So I'm just Like leveling out with that myself. Right. (laughs) So it's
0: like, how, like, at 17, nobody you know doesn't worry about what other people think. Like, that's normal. You're not the only one worried about that. Like, and it won't be this way forever, normalizing that. And yes, it looks like Jill on social media in her bikini shot doesn't worry about what other people think or has all the confidence in the world. Yes, that's what it looks like, but that's not the reality. That's just a picture that makes you think that.
1: Totally. Well, I, I just did a post the other day, yesterday or the day before or whatever, and I was like, man... You know, the reason I do this podcast is so people see where people – they can hear where people start. Yeah. You know what I mean? And social media, the way it's built up today is like everybody thinks everybody just started there. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. like, no, there there was a struggle. There was a beginning. There was a a struggle. It was hard to get to this point. And that's why they have – x amount of followers or x amount of downloads or x amount of views or you mm-hmm. know their their car shop is is banging in the town or you know what i mean like there's so many different reasons and oh, yes yeah. they went through it too but that's the downer about social media is everybody thinks everything's instant right you know and it's it's a real bad misconception
0: Absolutely. And that's part of what I'm trying to do on my account is at least show both sides of it. Like I have pictures on my account in a bathing suit. And I also write in that like, I have always wished that I had bigger boobs, right? Like I will post that out there. I will post that like, I hate my stomach. The only time I ever liked it was when I was pregnant. And I love my oh. pregnant belly, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I will say those things because I want other people to realize that they they can see the picture and think whatever they want. But I kind of want to try to mitigate their thoughts because sure. they may look at me and think I look perfect, right? Right? Because everybody, I mean, we are all kinder to other people typically than we totally, are to ourselves. Yeah. Which is one of the things I was texting you about. Um, one of the things I work the most on with in my own life, in my own therapy, and with my clients, is your relationship with yourself. That, yeah, there you go. Your inner voice. And I talk a lot about your inner child. So we've talked about how everything from your childhood impacts you now. But you also have an inner child, like that little part of your soul that is still young. Yeah. Right? That little boy or little girl inside of you who still needs to be cared for and loved like a child does. Oh. Right? And oftentimes, and I don't know if you can – Think of a moment in your own life, most of us can if we really try, where you felt triggered, right? Like extra reactive, whether it was extra sad or extra angry or extra. Oftentimes it's, and you've recognized this, it's coming from like more of a childhood wound, yeah. right? Like it's resonating as something you experienced or felt as a child. And that's typically when that child really needs your love, your care, your compassion, right, your parenting. So I do a lot of work myself and with my clients to learn to reparent yourself.
1: Wow. That's trippy. Okay.
0: Right. So the simplest way I can put it is, um, who takes care of you? Me. Right. And how do you know how to do a good job doing that? I don't. But where do you think you're supposed to learn that though?
1: I don't know. Probably from I your pray parents. A, I pray a
0: lot. <laughs> right. But from your parents, do you think you're a good dad? Yes. I think you're a good dad. Yeah. Um, so I would tell you, if you're not sure if you're taking good care of yourself right, self right now, I would ask, would I do or tell or you know make one of my kids do this, right? And that's going to be your answer. It's treating yourself the way you would treat your child that you love or your wife that you love, right? So if you're for your inner child for yourself all the yes. time, your inner child and yourself, right? So if it's I. And I know you're good at this because you're very good with your bedtime and your everything,
1: right? (laughs) But for other people,
0: yes. But that's part of being a good parent, having structure, having boundaries.
1: Routine, yeah.
0: It doesn't have to even be routine, but kind of like, hey, I put myself to bed because I know that's good for my health. The same way you put your kid to bed because you know it's good for their health. You're not trying to be a dick. Like when your 13-year-old kid wants to stay up late on a school night because he's having too much fun playing video games and you make him go to bed, it's not because – mom or dad is trying to be mean, it's because you love and care for your child and you don't want them to be tired and cranky and miserable tomorrow, right?
1: Right, right. So
0: learning to do those things for yourself Mm. from a place of love, right? So a lot of people have the experience of being parented from a place of more like being like parents as bullies, parents mean, right? Versus love and compassion and caring. So, learning how to take care of yourself from a place of, I'm not forcing myself to do something because I hate myself. Like, I hate my body so much that I go work out, right? Mm. A lot of people do things out of hate. I love myself so whoa, much.
1: Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. What did you just say? A lot of people do things out of hate?
0: Like hate or dislike or disdain for themselves. You don't think that's true?
1: Oh, no, I think it okay, is. That's yes. why I stopped. Okay. That was, it was like profound. You know yeah, what I mean? I was like, a lot like, of holy people shit. don't have
0: that self love. And it's more like we're constantly like punishing ourselves, trying to perform, trying to meet these standards that are set by the outside world.
1: Well, this, this is – I guess this is where, you know, me living in my cave and under a rock, mm-hmm. you know, come into play. You know, I, I, I've been going through some stuff with, with my oldest son. Mm-hmm. And people keep telling me things about, you know, 14 – he's going to be 15 pretty soon here. And people keep saying, oh, well, a 15-year-old, well, the brain development. And junior is so next level mm-hmm. and so mature and so responsible and just – a really good kid. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? I really don't, my complaints are like just me nitpicking pretty much. And Mm -hmm. Tanika tells me all that all the time, you know, he's a great kid, but I, 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 I forget that there are 14 and 15 year olds that aren't on juniors level. You know what I mean? And I, you know, not to be an asshole, but it's the majority of the teenagers that are his age are not on his level. A lot of my friends say, you know, you know, Talking to Junior is like talking to an adult, man. Like, he's very intelligent. Mm -hmm. He's mature. He, like, you know, he's on it, you know. And then we go through these situations and everybody's like, no, no, he's 15, man. You can't do that. And I'm like, what are you talking – but I'm not used to being around other Mm 15-year-olds. You know what I mean? I think Amari's, you know, the happiest fucking kid I ever met in my life. Mm -hmm. But I'm not around other one-year-olds. So I don't know. You know, for a long time, like, for the first six, I was like, this kid's broken. (laughs) You know what I mean? He's only laughing and smiling. Like, what's going on? You know what I mean? Yeah, you guys
0: got an easy baby. Yeah, no, we got, we got,
1: we got super lucky. Let's transition a little bit. Can we talk about your Instagram page? Sure. So uh, can we know the name of it? And I, oh, yeah. Uh, go ahead.
0: So it's Mama Uncensored. Uh-huh. Mama period uncensored.
1: And that was your personal page it originally? Uh-huh. And then you switched over to Mama Uncensored? Mm-hmm. And can you like break it down a little bit? I know you have a little bit, but break yeah. it down.
0: Um, so even bef- when it was my personal page, I tried to do be very authentic and share things about my own struggles. I, t- I There's definitely posts about body image and eating disorder stuff, since that's most of what I've struggled with. Um, and then when I became a mom, I really wanted to build that community on Instagram and be a part of that community that's on Instagram. Yeah. Sharing all of the things motherhood. Because being a mom can be so tough. It can feel so isolating. It can feel like you're the only one going through it. Or you can see all these beautiful, perfect pictures of the moms on Instagram whose houses are clean, and their style is perfect, and their baby looks perfect, and all the things look perfect. Yeah. Um, And I wanted to create a place and a community where we talked about all things and all the authenticities of it, Um, the highs, the lows, the struggles, and normalized things so that there's less kind of mom guilt. And so that I felt normal. Like, I wanted to document my experience Uh, too, right? yeah, yeah. And part of the way that you feel normal, I think... Is by saying something and then having people say me too. Relate, yeah. Right? Know. So I post things and people will message me and be like, me too, or like, thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah. And then I know, like that feels good on like an ego level, of course, but yeah. it also feels good to know that I'm not the only one going through it. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And I have two boys. They're one and a half and two and a half. So they're less than a year apart by three days. It's crazy. <laughs> right. And I, and that's also been a unique experience that I thought would be fun to share. So part of it's like been fun. Like I want to share something because it's fun for me. And I want to share the fun part of motherhood. And I also want to share the real part and the struggles. And, you know, now I'm a single mom doing this on my own. And that has been a hard transition for me. Um, for
1: any any person, yeah. I mean, mom or dad, it, it is hard because I went through that myself and yeah. it's not easy. And you have two boys. I had one at the time, Yeah, you know, so kudos to you, man. Thank Congratulations you. for holding it down for all the single moms out there.
0: Thank you. Yeah. I yeah, hope I'm doing a good job. You huh. are. i sure. <laughs> but I just wanted to like create a community for that. And I think... It's a good outlet. It's funny, though, because you asked about being vulnerable on Instagram, Mm -hmm. and sometimes it's almost easier because of the screen to say things there rather than, like, call a friend. Yeah. For me. Yeah. I'm sure it's not that way for everyone, but sometimes I can say the hard, vulnerable thing to the mass public. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) Versus, like, calling somebody and having to have, like, an intimate one-on-one conversation, which is a a plus and a downside like i think sometimes it, i can use it as a way to avoid having the conversations with people who i should really let be there more be there for me more sure does that make sense yeah no. yeah
1: absolutely but
0: it also then creates those conversations because people see it and respond and message and you know instead of having to ask for help people offer it maybe yeah 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 and yeah. It, i struggle with asking for help
1: it, is that just who you are or is oh, it oh yeah 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 <laughs> Well, you know, I, I, somebody told me if you want something done fast, do it yourself. But if you want something done and if we're to go far, you do it with other people. Yep. You know, and it's it's one of my struggles, man. I'm so – I just want everything done my way when I want it done. And, you know, asking for help is a, is a real hard one for a lot of us, I think.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know? It totally depends on your experience with it growing up. And how it's panned out in your adult life, right? Whether it feels safe to you to ask for help. Because that's very, asking for help can be almost more vulnerable than sharing something personal about yourself.
1: Damn. Yeah, you're right. Mm -hmm. I didn't think about that. You've uh, hit me with some zingers today, man. <laughs> I, I really appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, Manasa, I mean, we're on an hour and 30 minutes, dude. So I, I'm going to end this. But okay. I just want to say that I really appreciate your time. And it's been so cool talking to you. And I'm, I'm glad we got into this and finally got the interview in. Yes, I got COVID. We had, to, we had to postpone it for a little while. But thank you so much for your time today. Yeah. And uh, can you give the listeners a way to get a hold of you?
0: Sure, you can connect with me on my Instagram page. As I said, it's not private. Um, and
1: what's the handle on her again?
0: Mama, M A M A dot uncensored. Okay. Um, at on Instagram, and then if you're looking for therapists, you can find me on Psychology Today, Monisa Grossman. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: All right, Vanessa. Thank you so much for coming in again today. I really appreciate it. I am your host, Nativo Gonzalez, reminding you to be cool and spread love. Thank you so much for tuning in, everybody. We will see you next